Chapters One and Two of One Life, One Love. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Céline Major. One Life, One Love by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. One Dramatis Personae. Wife cried robert hatrell coming into the sunny morning-room where his wife and her daughter were sitting the little girl in the broad recessed window with her tutor puzzling over her first french verb while in front of the window a bed of pink tulips were waving and nodding their rosy cups in the soft april wind wife can you guess what good news i have brought you indeed no rob unless it is that you are going to take me for a long drive to burnham beeches or the forest for instance she was not one of the indifferent off-hand wives who hardly look up from their work or their book when a husband comes back from his morning walk she was not even one of those excellent matrons whose affections are concentrated upon the nursery for whom babies have a higher claim than the breadwinner clara hatrell adored her husband and was not ashamed to show her affection for him in trivial ways which mark the line between love and toleration she laid down her pen rose from the little davenport and went over to meet him as he came flushed and smiling into the sunshiny room better than that ever so much better than that not another diamond bracelet i hope she said with a touch of petulance he had a passion for buying things an amiable weakness which had been pleasant enough up to a certain point but to which his wife objected when it passed the limits of common sense ungrateful woman you know dear i have more jewellery already than i care to wear it is not a bracelet it is not any kind of ornament for the most ungrateful of women will that satisfy you the little girl never looked up from the indicative mood the glory of beginning a foreign language overcame her sense of weariness the tutor never raised his eyelids from the eyes which watched the child puzzling over her book but he was listening intently all the same not quite rob you have been buying something i can see it in the sparkle of your eye you have been wasting a heap of money upon some trumpery or other i have not spent or incurred a liability to the extent of three and sixpence since i left this house but i have heard something which may lead to my spending three or four thousand pounds before we are much older the land cried clara clasping her hands my meadows my gardens precisely young florestan has made up his mind to part with some superfluous territory and as soon as the lawyers are ready to sell i shall be able to buy the extra acres for which my fair land-grabber has been pining what rapture and we shall be able to extend the river terrace to twice its present length and i shall have an italian garden a real italian garden with marble balustrades and pan and syrinx and walls of cypress and yew and a long avenue of junipers my dearest dreamer your cypress walls will take thirty or forty years to arrive at perfection they will be something to look forward to in our old age and we shall have the pleasure of planning everything and watching the things grow the garden will be our own creation an emanation from our very selves adam and eve would have tried harder to be worthy of eden if it had not been ready-made robert hatrell had the sanguine temperament and had a knack of adopting any idea of his wife's with even greater enthusiasm than her own he was never more pleased than in pleasing her yet had marked tastes of his own 
pictures statues foreign travel a man of no profession or pursuit and of an energetic temper energetic even to restlessness he was an only son and had been lord of himself and of between three and four thousand a year at an age when most young men are still dependent upon parental benevolence he had left oxford without a degree but with a reputation for considerable talent of an artistic social and generally intangible character he had travelled and amused himself for half a dozen years enjoying independence health and high spirits to the uttermost he had had his adventures his disillusions and his disappointments during that long holiday and he had only sobered and settled down on marrying one of the prettiest girls of her season a girl fresh from a buckinghamshire valley where her people had been lords of the soil before the wars of the roses she had practically no money but she came of a race which claimed kindred with hampton she had the calm and chaste beauty of the florentine venus she neither flirted nor talked slang and she knew no more about racing or cars than if she had still been in the nursery in a word she was a girl whom wordsworth or milton would have accepted as the fairest type of english girlhood and robert hatrell considered himself very lucky in winning her for his wife his father had been a civil engineer a genius successful in all he touched the rewards of his profession had been large and rapid and had tempted him to overwork which resulted eventually after many notes of warning in an appallingly sudden death robert inherited with the engineer's fortune the engineer's ardent temperament which on his part showed itself in superfluous energy a feverish activity about trifles there were times when in spite of fortune happy home and idolized wife he felt that he had made a mistake in his life that it would have been better for him to have worked hard and had a career like his father's he read of the two brunels and the two stephensons with a pang of regret but on this bright april morning there was no shadow upon robert hatrell's happiness no sense of a purpose and a career missed a life in some wise wasted he talked of the additional land as if it were the beginning and end of existence it will just make the place perfect clara he said you are always right love we were terribly cramped when we made our garden the river terrace is well enough but we have no depth the grounds are unworthy of the house he opened a glass door and went out upon the lawn his wife following him they stood side by side and looked first at the house and then at the garden this way and that and then at the river eleven years ago on the eve of their marriage he and clara riding together one morning on the berkshire side of the river between reading and henley had discovered an old-fashioned cottage in a good-sized garden with a lawn sloping to the river there were a couple of meadows and an orchard behind the cottage divided from it by a road but the best part of the whole thing was this river frontage of less than a quarter of a mile the cottage was to be let or sold as a lopsided board announced to the world at large and the neglected garden gave evidence that it was a long time since the last tenant had departed and left the place to gradual decay the lovers dismounted found a door on the latch and explored the house which was empty of human life albeit some shabby furniture and a sandy cat in the kitchen indicated that a caretaker had her habitation on the premises the thick walls leaded casements quaint old staircase and corridor fascinated clara she was passionately fond of the river and of the country in which she had been born and reared her future home was to be in chester street belgravia but the exploration of the cottage suggested a delightful alternative how sweet it would be to have this for a summer home rob she said 
and robert who was at the period of his most abject slavery instantly decided that the cottage must be hers the negotiation of the purchase gave him something to do alterations and additions and improvements would make a delightful occupation for husband and wife after the honeymoon the house in chester street had been taken on a seven fourteen or twenty-one years lease a most commonplace business it was furnished and ready for them nothing more to do there but this cottage would afford endless work he began to plan at once even before he knew the owner's name of course they must build a drawing-room and dining-room and a couple of bedrooms boudoir and dressing-room on the floor above the present sitting-room would make a pretty hall by knocking down a lath and plaster partition and throwing in the passage those thick walls and great chestnut beams were delightful he saw his way to an artistic-looking house for very little money i am nothing if not inventive he said remember what my father did some faint trickle from that deep stream of intellectual force ought to have come down to me i'm sure you would be quite as clever as your father and would plan viaducts and things as he did if it were required of you said clara admiringly the cottage was bought and was the plaything of the first and second year of their married life their chief amusement occupation and excitement the cottage was always with them and the greatest pleasure of their foreign wanderings was found in bric-a-brac shops searching out strange and picturesque things for their new home at the end of those two years the cottage was no longer a cottage but a spacious and luxurious house of moderate elevation with many gables a tiled roof and tall chimney-stacks mr hatterell had remembered ruskin's axiom that no house can be picturesque in which the roof is not a prominent feature the garden had been made as perfect as its narrow limits would allow but everybody felt and many people said that the house was too large and too handsome for its surroundings they had occupied it for nine years and the daughter who had entered it a year old baby was old enough to learn her first french verb although her education had been conducted in a very leisurely manner yet only to-day had come the hope of possessing the adjoining land which had been in the hands of trustees until two or three months ago when the heir had come of age the trustees had been unable to sell and the heir had been unwilling to sell but a month at monte carlo had brought about a change of tactics and this morning mr hatrell had seen the land agent and had been told that young florestan would be glad of an offer for so much of the home farm as might be wanted to perfect mr hatrell's holding you will understand that as there is a river frontage and the land is eminently adapted for building we shall want a good price for it said the agent let me know your price without an hour's unnecessary delay i'd rather not make an offer i can't be a buyer and seller too answered hatrell and then he walked home at five miles an hour brimming over with delight triumphant at having such news to carry to his wife they looked this way and that and talked and pointed out boundaries and distances those dear old chestnuts in the hedgerow must come down the river terrace must be continued along there the meadow would have to be levelled into an upper and lower lawn and there must be stone balustrades and flights of steps i'm afraid it will cost a fortune said clara we can afford to do it dear now we have given up the house in chester street they had discovered two or three years before that a london house was a useless expense an incubus even since it obliged them to live in town when they would rather be in the country 
they both infinitely preferred life in berkshire to life in belgravia so on the expiry of the first term of the lease they gave up the house and sold the bulk of the furniture to the incoming tenant and now they could spend as much of their time as they liked in the house by the river and could winter in italy or switzerland without any scruples of conscience when they wanted to reside in london there were hotels ready to receive them and on the other hand they could enjoy many metropolitan pleasures while resident at river lawn since the journey to the west end took very little more than an hour the child had stuck to her book with dogged determination while her mother and father were indoors but the sight of them standing on the lawn was too much for her their animated gestures filled her with curiosity what were they pointing out to each other what could they be talking about her tutor laid his long white fingers upon her shoulder with the slow caressing touch she knew so well where are your thoughts flying daisy he said gently we shan't manage our two tenses if you don't attend better i'm rather tired said the little girl and i want to go to mother let it be one tense then only one but it must be quite perfect shut your book and tell me the french for i am je suis replied daisy watching those sunlit figures on the lawn her mother in a gown of cream-white woolen stuff with an orange-coloured handkerchief knotted loosely around her neck the tutor tutor for love not gain never looked up dreamy at the best of times he was in an unusually meditative mood this morning he seemed to be giving a small portion of his brain-power to the child while all the rest was lost in a labyrinth of thought the present tense indicative mood of the verb être was repeated without a hitch good said ambrose arden we will have the imperfect tense to-morrow and now you may run in the garden for half an hour before we read our english history perhaps you would like to read out of doors very much if you please uncle ambrose she put her arms round his neck and laid her soft cheek against his silky hair he had pale auburn hair which he wore rather long his skin was as fair as a woman's hair and complexion and the clear bright blue of the large dreamy eyes gave something of effeminacy to his appearance but his features were large and boldly cut a longish nose inclining to aquiline a strong chin and wide resolute mouth he was tall and broad-shouldered but had the stoop of a bookish man whose life was for the most part sedentary all his movements were slow and deliberate and his full deep voice had slow and deliberate modulations a legato movement that answered to the gliding movements of his figure daisy flew out to the lawn like an arrow from a bow she had her mother's hazel eyes and her mother's vivacity slim straight and swift as atalanta with dark brown hair flying in the wind ambrose arden rose slowly and sauntered after her may i inquire the cause of all this excitement he asked as he approached husband and wife didn't you hear just now you man of ice robert hatrell exclaimed laughingly can it be that mundane things have no interest for you that you have only ears and mind for the abstract i heard something about florestan's land precisely had you been more keenly interested in the welfare of your friends you might have heard that i have now the chance of buying the additional ground my poor clara has been pining for ever since we made our garden i am very glad said arden quietly you don't look a bit glad said clara i am one of those cold-blooded people whose faces do not express what they feel i am heartily glad all the same since you and hatterall are glad 
oh it is clara's business this place is clara's creation she can do what she likes with it said hatrell i'll have cruden over this afternoon to plan the new garden but my dear rob is it worth while to begin our plans before we are even sure of the ground remonstrated common sense in the person of his wife we are quite sure it is only a question of a hundred or two more or less florestan wants money and he can spare the land we want the land and we can spare the money there is always so much time lost in beginning anything i'll send for cruden at once yes and you and mr cruden will have planned every detail before i can make a single suggestion said clara i know your impetuosity of old my love the new garden was your idea and you shall carry it out in your way replied her husband but we may as well see cruden's plan he is the best man in this part of the country for a job of that kind we will do nothing without your approval clara gave a little impatient sigh she knew so well for how little her approval would count when once the landscape gardener and his men were set at work how little pause or leisure there would be for a thought or taste and how the whole business would be hurried along by her husband's impatient temper till all was fixed and completed for good or ill and she knew that the loveliest gardens she had seen had been the slow and gradual growth of care and thought mr cruden however was a prince among nurserymen he had taste and knowledge and many acres of nursery ground and if he were but allowed time all would no doubt be well ambrose arden strolled down to his favourite seat under a weeping willow which overhung the river and made a tent of tender green above a rustic bench and table there were cushions scattered on the ground under the tree and there was a doll sitting with its sawdust back propped up against the trunk these and various lesson books indicated that the spot was daisy's chosen resort here in fine weather she carried on her education under the affectionate guidance of her father's friend and neighbour ambrose arden when they bought their cottage at lamford mr and mrs hatrell found mr arden established in a small square brick house on the opposite side of the road one of those ugly useful houses which people used to build seventy or eighty years ago amidst loveliest scenery houses which imply that at a certain period of english history the sense of beauty was dead in the english mind houses as square and as unbeautiful are built by the dozen nowadays on the outskirts of french provincial towns and seem the natural outcome of the small bourgeois retired from business time and the mild moist atmosphere of the thames valley had dealt kindly with this sordid building and had covered it from basement to roof with roses passion-flower woodbine and trumpet-ash so clothed and standing in the midst of an old-fashioned garden it had assumed a certain humble prettiness as the commonest labourer's cottage will when it has time to ripen it was quite good enough for ambrose arden the oxford scholar the man who had carried off some of the chief prizes of a university career but whose name from a social point of view had been written in water even the men of his year had scarcely heard of him or at most had heard of him as a poor creature who neither rode nor hunted nor spoke at the union nor gave wines a creature who only sat in his rooms and read he came to the square brick house at lamford a widower with one child a boy of three years old he had married a parson's daughter in a village among the welsh hills and had lived with her in that quiet far-off world until their brief married life ended in sudden darkness 
her son was just beginning to run alone when the young mother who had never given up the pious and charitable ways of the vicar's daughter took the contagion of a deadly fever by a sick-bed in a remote homestead hidden among the hills too far for the elderly vicar to carry words of hope and consolation ambrose arden's wife had taken the duty of visiting these people upon herself the woman's husband had an evil repute was known to have ill-used his wife and she was dying of some mysterious disease alone and friendless amy arden went daily to visit her ambrose walking with her and while his wife read or talked to the sick woman he sat on a little rustic bridge that spanned a trout stream hard by reading the book he always carried in the pocket of his shooting-coat never had ambrose arden been known to leave his house unsupplied with intellectual food of some kind whether the dying woman's malady was contagious or whether the house itself reeked with drain poison the doctors never decided all ambrose knew was that his young wife fell a victim to her own large-hearted charity from her childhood she had ministered to her father's flock and she was stricken with death in the path of duty mr arden left the rustic cottage in the radnorshire village in which he had lived for three years in comfort and refinement upon a very small income which he had inherited from his mother he was an only child the last as he supposed of a race that had slowly exhausted itself a race of gentlefolks who had neither toiled nor spun and who had done very little to distinguish themselves in the busy places of this world they were a cheshire family and they had lived on their own land and had seen their importance and their means gradually decaying from generation to generation without being moved to any strong stand-up fight against adverse fortune some of them had been soldiers and some of them had been students not undistinguished in the records of the university but the active temper which can redeem the fortunes of a race had been unknown in the house of arden ambrose fled from radnorshire with a great horror of the soil on which he left the grave of his dead wife he had been very fond of her not with a passionate or romantic attachment but with a mild and in some wise fatherly affection appreciating the sweetness of a most perfect character she had never been more to him than a dear and tenderly loved friend and his affection at the beginning of their married life had been as placid temperate and serious as the love of grey-haired darby for grey-haired joan after their golden wedding it did not seem within the capacities of the student's nature to care passionately for anything outside the world of thought he went to london and lived in a lodging near the british museum for about half a year while his infant son was cared for by a little staymaker at roehampton who had about half a rood of garden ground behind her cottage the boy throve well enough in this humble home and ambrose used to walk to roehampton every sunday to look at him all his weekdays he spent in the reading-room of the museum one day he discovered that his boy had grown very fond of him he cried and clung to his father at parting and then it first entered into his father's mind that he might make a home for his son and for his books which had accumulated rapidly since he had lived in london the temptations of the second-hand bookshops being irresistible to a man for whom the world of books was almost the only world the valley of the thames was fairer and more familiar to the oxonian than any other part of england it was also within reach of the great reading-room so it was on the banks of the thames that ambrose arden looked for a home he found a cottage and a good old garden for thirty pounds a year and as his prowlings about the lamplit streets within a one-mile radius of the museum had made him familiar with a great many brokers shops he had no difficulty in getting together the few articles of furniture necessary for the establishment of a widower with an infant son 
a carpenter from henley put up pitch-pine shelves for the students existing library and provided space for future purchases and with his books and his son ambrose arden settled down to that dreamy life which he had now been leading for between eleven and twelve years the hatterells made their neighbor's acquaintance casually one summer evening on the river where the student was sitting in a punt with his boy the father absorbed in a book the boy fishing moored to the willowy bank and where robert hatterell was sculling his wife slowly towards the sunset in his capacious skiff the strong rhythmical stroke bearing witness to the time when he was one of the best oars in the university eight the casual acquaintance soon ripened into an easy and familiar intercourse and with the passing years intimacy became friendship the two men had been at oxford together albeit they had no memory of ever having met there they had some tastes in common although one was all energy the other all repose mrs hatrell was a voracious reader and looked to mr arden for counsel and help in the choice of books by the new lights afforded by his wide knowledge of the best authors she found many a pleasant shortcut to a higher level of thought and culture than governess or professors had revealed to her she grew to depend upon him for intellectual guidance and it was with delight she accepted his offer to educate her only child after his own plan it seems almost absurd to see you wasting your time upon that child she said feeling some compunction at the beginning of things i have plenty of time to waste and daisy's education will serve as amusement and relaxation for me now that cyril is at winchester i have no young thing to lighten my life except daisy but to see you teaching a child of seven seems rather like setting a nasmith hammer to crack a nut one of the boasted merits of the nasmith hammer is that it can crack a nut let me think that i have not lost the lightness and delicacy of a mind which can understand the workings of a child's brain the mother submitted and was grateful and it gradually became a familiar thing to see ambrose arden the grave student of seven-and-thirty whose magnum opus was to make a revolution in the history of philosophy bending over the brown-eyed child and teaching her history upon his own plan which was to begin in the valley of euphrates and travel gradually downward through the ages from the dim fairyland of the east to the finished civilization of modern europe he had a genius for simplification and contrived to make the broad outlines of ancient history clear and interesting even to that infant mind he had travelled over all the same ground with his boy cyril who was now distinguishing himself at winchester whence he came nearly every saint's day to see his father two confidences the moon rose at nine o'clock that evening and robert hatrell sauntered into the garden after dinner to smoke and meditate upon the projected improvements with him action was everything and reverie however pleasant rarely lasted long to-night the meditative mood lasted no longer than a single cigarette that finished he opened a little gate in the kitchen garden and strolled across the road another little gate admitted him into his neighbor's garden and he went straight to the open window of the roomy parlor which ambrose had converted into a study by the simple process of lining it from floor to ceiling with books an old knee-hole desk occupied the centre of the floor and three chairs and an old-fashioned sofa completed the sum of the furniture it looked a snug and congenial room for a student shabby as it was in the light of the shaded lamp by which ambrose sat reading unconscious that any one was looking at him shut your dusty tome old bookworm and come for a stroll in the moonlight said hatrell whereupon the student rose and obeyed him without a word like a man of weaker will obeying one of stronger will 
a cigarette was offered and taken and the two men walked along the road in silence broken only by a commonplace remark or two about the weather and the night until robert hatrell said abruptly are you sure it was the same man the man you have described to me assuredly it was what other man should know your story no perhaps not i doubt if there is any one else who would know the whole matter is easy enough to understand this man is one of many all on the verge of starvation refugees of the commune who have been dragging out a miserable existence in london since last may nearly a year i who am a republican and a nihilist in theory have sympathies with these men who have tried to reduce theory to practice so i whipped up a few pounds your fiver among others and took the money to a public-house in greek street where my friends assemble of an evening and distributed it among them in accordance with their necessities while telling these poor wretches the source of the money i happened to mention your name and the man followed me into the street afterwards and questioned me about you i naturally refused to answer questions which i considered impertinent and then he told me his story and of course made the worst of it he told it in a vindictive spirit and you think perhaps that i ought to have acted differently that claude morel the chemist's assistant ought at this moment to be my brother-in-law my dear hatrell a man's relations with women are just the one part of his life which no other man has the right to question and in which counsel and opinion are worse than useless that's no answer exclaimed hatrell impatiently why don't you say at once that i ought to have married a milliner's apprentice and had that man for my brother-in-law he would not have been a very agreeable connection i admit in practice although in theory all men are equal there are plenty of men of as low a grade socially whom i would accept as my friend and equal to-morrow but not claude morel the fellow bears the brand of cain upon his forehead it was men of his stamp who made the commune what it was he was one of their speakers the intellectual element the force that set other men's brains on fire i was sorry to see great hulking honest fellows under his influence i could read the history of last year's riot and murder in that little room in soho a very dangerous man your claude morel yet you think he ought to have been my brother-in-law said hatrell slashing at the flowery bank with his stick harping irritably on the question no 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 since you were not so far entangled with a sister as to but i was entangled i loved her man yes i was over head and ears in love with that milliner's apprentice and had more than half a mind to fling prudence to the winds and marry her she was very young very confiding and altogether innocent yes a grisette in paris and innocent god knows how long that would last she had left her native village less than a year before i met her had travelled to paris to find her brother who had apprenticed her to a milliner in the rue neuve des petits champs we met by purest accident in a street crowd she hustled and frightened in the mob i happened to protect her i walked home with her ever so far beyond the bastille and so began an acquaintance which might have ended god knows how if that young man had not tried to force the running i have to thank his violence not my prudence for my escape and for my sweet english wife i shudder to think of the difference such a marriage as that must have made in my life that depends upon the strength of your love said arden i can imagine a man loving so deeply and truly as never to regret having married beneath him no arden repentance must come it is the aftertaste of passion 
and a gentleman's love for a peasant girl can be only passion at best that depends upon the gentleman ah you are in provoking mood to-night i see did this fellow tell you what has become of his sister whether she is dead or living no he went into no particulars nor did i encourage him by asking questions he talked of broken promises broken hearts a blighted life pride and cruelty talked as you may suppose a communist nurtured upon la pere du chêne would talk of an english gentleman who had in his idea compromised and disappointed his sister i cut him as short as i possibly could only i considered it my duty to let you know that the man is in london and that he threatens to hunt you out and revenge his sister's wrongs her supposed wrongs we will say in some way or other that means lying in wait for me at the corner of a london street to shoot me or to throw vitriol in my face i suppose said hatrell with a scornful laugh i must take my chance of the bullet or the vitriol it may be only an empty threat but i own i don't like the man's physiognomy or his history and i recommend you to be on your guard it might be wise to try and get him out of the country i dare say he would emigrate to one of the colonies if emigration were made profitable to him arden do you think i am such a poltroon as to buy my life from a foreign bully he threatened me in paris and i turned him out of my room neck and crop he wanted to frighten me into a marriage with his sister by pretending to believe that i was her seducer but that was not the worst when i told him that marriage was impossible he insinuated that there might be other arrangements a wealthy englishman in love with a girl of inferior station might make such a settlement as would ensure the comfort and respectability of her future life without the legal tie in a word the man was and is a scoundrel he knew that i was rich and he wanted to make a market out of me don't you know that chantage is a profession in paris a profession to which a lazy scoundrel looks as the one royal road to competence and he found that i was not a singing bird whatever debt i owed to my little toinette it was not one that he could force me to pay and do you suppose that now fourteen years after i would reward his bluster with a concession of so much as a sixpence if you do think so poorly of me arden you must be a very bad judge of human nature perhaps i am wrong but i have your wife to think of as well as you what if this man were to come here and tell his story to my wife let him she will believe no man's word against mine indeed i have talked to her about antoinette or at least i have told her half in sport and half in earnest that i was once in love with a grisette and i am not afraid to tell her the whole truth that in my salad days two years before i saw her fair young face i was very hard hit by that same grisette and trifled with her longer than i ought and had even half a mind to marry her and only pulled myself up sharp when her brute of a brother interfered i need not tell her that i sent the girl a hundred pounds in my farewell letter and wished her a good husband in her own rank of life who would respect her all the more for that dot and for the knowledge that i could sign myself in all sincerity and honour her faithful friend ah ambrose arden you who have given your heart to books can never imagine how this foolish heart of mine ached as i wrote that letter i own that i have lived more among books than among human beings yet i can conceive the possibility of an overmastering love bearing down all barriers weighing caste and circumstance as feathers in the scale against passion but what i cannot conceive is that such intense feeling can be transient that such a love can ever give place to another 
ah but you see i do not pretend that my fancy for antoinette was ever a grande passion my heart ached at throwing her off but the heartache came as much from my sympathy with her in her disappointment as from my own sense of loss i was never really in love till i met clara she accepted your hundred pounds i suppose i hope so it never came back to me but as i received no acknowledgment from my poor little friend it is likely enough her brother intercepted my money and her letter counselled her to refuse the gift indignantly perhaps and then put my bank-notes in his pocket i believe this fellow to be capable of anything sneaking and infamous and you never heard of antoinette after that letter never i left paris the next day the city seemed dull and dark without the light of those southern eyes it was in autumn the dead season and i went off to petersburg and thence to odessa to look at my father's work there and to feel sorry i was not as good a man as he the air has turned chilly will you come in and play a rubber with pleasure they turned and went back to river lawn they went in by the hall door into that roomy low-ceiled hall which had formed the greater part of the basement of the original cottage and which was a triumph of engineering skill on mr hatrell's part ponderous cherry-wood beams supported the ceiling which was further sustained by two oak pillars carved in a bold and vigorous style of art which looked as if it had been executed under the heptarchy a procession of short-nosed druids and saxon kings with boadicea and her chariot leading the way encircled those stunted pillars in a diagonal line and many an erudite person had expatiated upon their antique preciousness until silenced by robert hatrell's uproarious laughter to-night in the shine of the lamps the hall glowed with the vivid hues of italian stripes and persian embroidery and through the open door the large airy drawing-room revealed its more delicate colouring and cool sea-green draperies mother and daughter were sitting at a small round table with the light of a reading-lamp concentrated upon their bright eager faces as they arranged the pieces of a large puzzle map the child intensely eager to forestall her mother oh mother you've put india next to russia one so hot and the other so cold that can't be right cried daisy the round chippendale card-table was set ready at a respectful distance from the fire two shaded lamps shed their mild radiance upon the cards and the markers the rubber was a nightly institution and there were few evenings upon which ambrose arden did not come in to take his part in the game he and mrs hatrell playing against the master of the house who liked no partner at whist so well as dummy clara and her partner were in perfect sympathy in their dislike of cards and therefore they both played in unimpassioned ineffectual and often inattentive game which left robert hatrell master of the situation he played with a fervour and vigour which could have carried a bill through the house or silenced an enemy's fort and he enjoyed the eager rapid hours play with an enjoyment which was exhilarating to his companions and then the hour having ended in his triumph and the complete humiliation of his opponents he would rise from the table exultant and beaming and pace up and down the room talking as few men can talk with a rush of eloquence even about small things when the three players had taken their seats daisy came to say good-night having stayed up till half-past nine a prodigious indulgence she kissed her mother and father and then went to mr arden and put her arms round his neck and kissed him almost as fondly as she had kissed the other two he detained her for a minute or so while hatrell was dealing for the always favoured dummy shall we have the imperfect tense to-morrow daisy yes i nearly know it now i shall quite know it to-morrow 
and to-morrow will be to-day and even these kisses of yours will be in the imperfect tense won't they pet things that have been god bless mother's treasure good night he said the words almost reverently with a touch of deeper feeling than is usually given to fatherly good nights robert hatrell had not even looked up from the cards when his child kissed him it was a pretty domestic picture in the cheerful light of lamps and fire the three figures at the table so calm so reposeful with such passionless countenances the child's vivid face moving amidst them looking with rapid glances from one to the other family affection unclouded peace unquestioning love could hardly be more perfectly expressed than they were that night in robert hatrell's drawing-room End of chapters one and two